This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. And our managing editor, Joe Sang, is joining me on this special Best in Beer edition of the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thank you. Joining me remotely from a basement in a farmhouse in rural Missouri. And uh, we are having this. So we have just wrapped up this Best in Beer issue and are excited and ex- incredibly excited to uh, share the results with you. This is one of the most fun things that we do all year. Obviously, we uh, we build this Best in Beer issue using a combination of different strategies. We have a reader survey that we put out this past September and pulled and had thousands and thousands of, uh, of responses from readers as to their favorite breweries, beers, et cetera, et cetera, where we've compiled all of that the hard way and uh, have crunched all the numbers and have all of those lists to uh, share with you all today. Uh, We also, a number of weeks ago, got together here in Colorado and went through a tasting, blind tasting of hundreds and hundreds of special submissions for our best in beer issue, as well as some of our favorites from past issues this previous year. And Joe and I have come up with our editor's picks for the top 20 beers of 2020, uh, beers that sum up uh, the best of the brewer's art and craft, as well as tell significant stories and our beers of significance in this just crazy year all around. Um, So we're both excited to talk through these lists with you, and we're going to go kind of section by section. If you haven't subscribed yet to the magazine do so now go to beerandbrewing.com click on that subscribe button Um, you should be able to immediately get access on uh, apps etc to the digital edition of the magazine it is in fact the only way that you can actually read that issue uh, on the day that this podcast and the issue is released october friday october 23rd um you know and uh uh, you know, it becomes, uh, if you are a subscriber, that is the earliest way that you'll ever get to see the magazine. So um, by far, please support what we do. Go subscribe to the magazine at beerandbrewing.com. Click on the subscribe button. Uh, download that issue. You can read along and you can hear some of our thoughts behind the scenes on why some of the picks are where they are and some of our uh, our play-by-play on uh, what uh, has been driving some changes in reader preferences and uh, uh, ups and downs this past year. Before we start, nearly 2000 breweries across the U.S., Canada, and Mexico partner with GND Chillers. Innovative modular designs and no proprietary parts propel GND ahead as the premier choice for your glycol chilling needs. Breweries you recognize like Russian River, Ninkasi, Jack's Abbey, Samuel Adams, and a bunch more brewers you've heard on this very podcast all trust GND to chill the beer you love. Call GD Chillers to discuss your project today or reach out directly at gdchillers.com. Also, this episode is brought to you by RAR North Star Pills, a new base malt to set your compass by. RAR North Star Pills is crafted for brewers looking for a domestic Pilsner malt with low color and low modification. North Star Pills carries overtones of honey and sweet bread, supported by flavors and aromas of hay and a nutty character. Suitable for any beer style, but particularly craft-brewed versions of classic lagers. Let RAR North Star Pills guide your craft by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact them at 1-800-374-2739. 
Uh, quickly want to thank G&D and uh, BSG, RAR, etc. Uh, for supporting a podcast this past year. And uh, we we're incredibly excited that they're coming back next year for full year sponsorships. Um, in fact, I think the podcast is just about sold out for the year 2021, which is crazy and awesome. And thank you to our sponsors for helping us uh, bring this to you every week. Um, Joe, let's dive into it. What do you think we should start with first here as we uh, talk through this special best in beer issue of craft beer and brewing? It's it's hard to pick. There's so many uh, cool places to dive in here, but I uh, we could start with uh, favorite breweries. Do that one. Favorite breweries. I, I love this category. We try to break it down, you know, because when you ask general questions, you know, national breweries that distribute everywhere tend to get the the most answers. This is a national and international poll, and people answer from from everywhere. Uh, and so by breaking it down into breweries by size, we're also able to. Um, showcase some of those smaller breweries that are doing powerful stuff and really getting out there. So why don't you talk us through the small breweries, the top vote getters from 20 to one in the small brewery category, which we're defining as fewer than 15,000 barrels per year. Uh, right. So let's start at the bottom. Let's start at the, uh, the, at, of the top 20, of course, not the bottom, bottom, top, bottom of the top 20, starting out out of Los Angeles, Highland park. First time on the list. We got Bottle Logic out of Anaheim. Great Notion in Portland. Another newcomer, Suarez family in New York. Alvarado Street in Monterey. So another California brewery there. Anchorage, popping onto the list suddenly. Cantillon. Uh, another exciting newcomer at number 13, Vitamin C in Massachusetts. With the hazies. And if you, uh, yeah, and uh, in fact, we have a breakout brewer story on this very issue on vitamin C, along with a uh, hazy double IPA recipe for folks that want to brew along at home for them. A couple more exciting newcomers at number 12 and 11 are The Veil out of Richmond, Virginia, and Dovetail out of Chicago. And we're going to be talking more about both of them later, too. We've got Tired Hands at number 10 in Pennsylvania. Popping in at number nine on this list is Monkish in Torrance, California. Number eight, Hop Butcher for the World in Chicago. Number seven, Side Project here in St. Louis, Missouri. And number six, this is of all the newcomers just popping into the list. This one pops in at number six. And I've got theories about why, but we got Beerstadt Lagerhouse in Denver. Top five, here we go. Burial. Asheville, North Carolina, Jester King in Austin, Texas, number three, Weldworks in Greeley, Colorado, Brooklyn's Other Half Brewery, number two, and at number one, Vermont's Hill Farmstead Brewery. I think this might be the last year that Other Half will be on this small breweries list. They were at 14,500 barrels this year. And uh, with this expansion in D.C. and another brewery coming in Brooklyn, they will certainly be larger than that next year. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, some big moves. And congratulations to Hill Farmstead yet again. Uh, I think they've pretty much had this category locked since we started, um, you know, and uh, are continuing to just 
uh, dominate and put out incredibly well thought out uh, beer that uh, that our readers clearly love. Mid-sized breweries, and we define these as 15,000 to 100,000 barrels of beer per year. In the number 20 spot, we've got Fort George from Astoria, Oregon. The number 19, Creature Comforts. Number 18, Lost Abbey Port Brewing out of San Marcos. Number 17, Lawson's Finest out of Warren, Vermont. Number 16, Prairie Arts and Ales out of Oklahoma. Number 15, Fatheads from uh, Ohio. At number 14, Jack's Abbey enters the list from Framingham, Massachusetts. Number 13, Surly out of Minneapolis. Number 12, Freem out of Hood River in Oregon. Number 11, Half Acre from Chicago. Number 10, also from Chicago, Revolution. Number 9, Fremont Brewing out of Seattle. Number 8, The Alchemist out of Stowe, Vermont. Number 7, Three Floyds out of Munster, Indiana. Number 6, Trillium. Also out of Boston, number five, Modern Times out of San Diego. Number four, Toppling Goliath from Decorah, Iowa. Number three, Stalwarts in Craft Beer, Allagash Brewing out of Portland, Maine. Number two, Treehouse out of Charlton, Massachusetts. And at the number one spot, Russian River Brewing out of Santa Rosa, California. On to large breweries then. Uh, 100,000 to 500,000 barrels of size per year. Coming to number 20, Sweetwater out of Georgia. Number 19, Brooklyn Brewery. Number 18, Weinstefaner from Germany. Number 17, Harpoon out of Boston. 16, Southern Tier up in New York State. 15, Brewdog, based in Ohio, we say, based in Scotland as well. Number 14, Rogue in Newport, Oregon. 13, Victory Brewing in Pennsylvania. Number 12, Ballast Point in San Diego. Number 11, they Bullet- actually They actually moved down a category this year because uh, of that ownership change that they had. And so, um, yeah, that's an interesting one. Well, they're getting craftier, smaller and craftier. I guess they are. Number 11, <laughs> Boulevard Brewing out of Kansas City, Missouri. Number 10, Oscar Blues, Longmont, Colorado. Number nine, New Glarus in Wisconsin. It's still not available anywhere besides Wisconsin. Number eight, Great Lakes Brewing out of Cleveland, Ohio. Number seven, Odell in Fort Collins. Number six, Trogues in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Top five of the large breweries. We got Cigar City in Tampa. Number four, Deschutes in Bend, Oregon. Number three, Firestone Walker, Paso Robles, California. Number two is Stone in Escondido. And the top large brewery, according to you, our readers, is number one, Bell's Brewing in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Congratulations, Bell's, once again. Uh, Now we move on to very large breweries, and these are breweries that brew more than 500,000 barrels a year. And uh, uh, for breweries that are owned by conglomerate groups that own more breweries and have a collective volume of higher than that, we have put them in this category, even though some of these sub-brands may not brew 500,000 barrels themselves. For that reason, we start off at number 10 with Wicked Weed from Asheville, North Carolina. Number nine, Guinness Diageo. And uh, number eight, also Goose Island, uh, owned by AB 
RBI. Number seven, Youngling out of Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Number six, Samuel Adams, Boston, Massachusetts. At number five, Dogfish Head from Milton, Delaware. Both all of those brands, both owned by Boston Beer Company. Number four, we have Lagunitas, owned by Heineken out of Petaluma, California. Number three, we have New Belgium Brewing out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Number two, Founders out of Grand Rapids. And number one, once again this year, Sierra Nevada from Chico, California. Let's move on to who brews it best. And this is a category where we ask you all the readers to tell us who brews it best style by style. And this is our attempt to kind of drill down and find things beyond just the most singular popular breweries to find, say, you know, who brews your favorite West Coast IPA, Hazy IPA, Saison, Abbey Style Beer, Sour, Statter Porter, Pale Ale, or Lager. Um, and so let's walk through some of those lists. Joe, why don't you talk us through uh, – uh, number 20 to number one of favorite American IPA brewers. All right, here we go. American IPAs at number 20. Your favorite American IPA brewer is the alchemist. Number 19 modern times. 18 is green flash. 17 cigar city. 16 ballast point. 15 main beer. 14 founders. 13, New Realm, popping onto the list for the first time. Number 12, Highland Park. 11, Fat Heads out of Ohio. Number 10, Breakside. Also just appearing on the list at number 10. Number 9, Odell. Number 8, Firestone Walker. Number 7, Treehouse. Number 6, Lagunitas. And number 5, Dogfish Head. Number four, Bells. And for the top three, here we go. Number three, Sierra Nevada. Number two, Stone. And your reader's choice favorite American IPA brewer is Russian River. Congratulations to Russian River. I'm drinking a plenty for president right now. Let's talk about favorite hazy IPA brewers as you voted for them. In the number 20 spot, we have Burial. And number 19, Toppling Goliath. Number 18, Pint House out of Austin, Texas. Number 17, Parish Brewing out of Louisiana. Number 16, Deschutes. Number 15, Tired Hands. Number 14 is Bells. Number 13, Vitamin C. Number 12, Modern Times. Number 11 is New Belgium. Number 10, Old Nation out of Michigan. Number 9, Hill Farmstead. Number 8, Hot Butcher for the World. Number 7, Monkish out of Torrance, California. Number 6, Trillium. Number 5, Weldworks Brewing. Number 4, Other half number three the makers of heady topper aka the alchemist number two the brand that's brought you hazy little thing sierra nevada and in the number one spot uh not a surprise to most people treehouse brewing out of charlton massachusetts joe why don't you take us through favorite saison brewers oh, i'm glad this one's mine jamie because i'm i'm drinking number one right now but let's start with number 20 uh favorite saison brewer reader's choice number 20 off color 19 casey 18, Oxbow. 17, Trillium. 16 is Phantom. 15, New Belgium. 14, Blackberry Farm. 13, Highland Park. 12, Fair Isle out of Washington. Number 11, Tired Hands. Number 10, Holy Mountain. Climbing on that list. Last year was 19. Number 9, Side Project. Number eight, Funkworks. Number seven, Sante Adarius. 
Number six, Omegong. And for the top five, Cezambrus, according to you. Number five, Jester King. Number four, Allagash. Number three is Boulevard. Number two, Hill Farmstead. And the number one favorite Saison Brewer, according to our readers, would be Brasserie Dupont in Wallonia in Belgium. And I'm drinking a Saison Dupont right now, just for you guys. Joe, why don't you also take us through uh, favorite Abbey-style brewers? All right, I'll do it, and I'll do my best at the pronunciation. Here we go. Number 20, Monkish. Number 19, Lef. Number 18, La Trappe. Number 17, Sierra Nevada. 16 is Delirium. 15, Spencer. 14 is Boulevard. Number 13 is Bostales. Number 12 is Orval. And or- is Orval really an Abbey-style brewer? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Technically, I guess it has to be, right? Number 11, Duval. Yeah, well, there you go. Duval. Number 11. Is that an Abbey-style brewer? I guess it, if you count who they own, sure. Number 10, Unibrew. Number 9, Rochefort. Number 8, The Lost Abbey. Number 7, Westvleteren. Number 6, New Belgium. Number 5, West Mala. Number 4, Chimay. Number 3, St. Bernardus. Number 2, Allagash, out of Maine. And your number 1 reader's choice favorite Abbey-style brewer is Omegong, out of Cooperstown, New York. Congratulations to them. Let's move on to favorite sour or wild ale brewer. And before anyone argues about whether breweries should be in this category, let's just say that we cast a broad net and uh, try to uh, trust you all, the readers, to vote for who you want to put in these categories. Number 20, Hudson Valley. Number 19, Black Project. Number 18, Hill Farmstead. Number 17, Side Project. Number 16, Allagash. Number 15, Dreyfontainen. Number 14, Trillium. Number 13, Brewery Taru. Number 12, Rogue. Number 11, The Rare Barrel. Number 10, Degard out of Tillamook, Oregon. Number 9, Classics in the Realm, Jolly Pumpkin. Number 8, KC Brewing and Blend- uh, Blending and Brewing. Uh, number seven, Wicked Weed. Number six, New Belgium. Number five is Cascade. Number four, Crooked Stave. Number three, Russian River. Number two was last year's number one, Jester King Brewery. And in the number one spot out of Brussels, Belgium, Cantillon. Why don't you take us through favorite lagers, Joe? Favorite lagers. Here we go. Your favorite fav- lager brewers. Favorite lager brewers, yeah. Here we go. Number 20, Urban Chestnut out of St. Louis. Number 19, Live Oak. Number 18, Founders. 17 is Bells. 16, Great Lakes. Number 15 is Victory Brewing. Number 14, Highland Park on another list. Number 13, Weinstefaner out of Bavaria. Number 12, Portland, Oregon's Wayfinder. Number 11, Chuckanut out of Washington State. Number 10, Iinger, another Bavarian brewery on your favorite lager list, favorite lager brewer list. Number 9, Freem out of Hood River, Oregon. Number 8, Pilsner Urkel. Number 7, Firestone Walker. Number 6, Dovetail out of Chicago. Number 5, Suarez Family. Number 4, Yangling. Number three, Samuel Adams, Boston Beer Company. Number two, Beerstadt Lagerhaus. 
And your number one reader's choice favorite lager brewer is Jack's Abbey. Congratulations to all of your favorite lager brewers. And I think we'll probably hear a little more from uh, Jack's Abbey later on, as well as some of the others. Let's talk about favorite pale ale brewer. Number 20, Boulevard. Number 19, Odell. Number 18, Fremont. Number 17 is Founders. Number 16 is Stone. Number 15, Firestone Walker. Number 14, Georgetown out of uh, Washington State. Number 13 is Cellar Maker. Number 12, Deschutes. Number 11, Main Beer Company. And number 10, Lagunitas. Number 9 is Treehouse. Number 8, Half Acre. Number 7 is Trillium. Number 6 is Bells. Number 5 is Toppling Goliath. Number 4, Hill Farmstead. Number 3, Three Floyds. Number 2, on the strength of Dale's Pale Ale, it's Oscar Blues and at the number 1 spot. And I should mention that this in this category, it's almost not fair uh, for <laughs> anyone else other other than this, this brewery, Sierra Nevada. Sierra Nevada took that number 1 spot in the Pale Ale category with four times as many votes as the next, as the number 2. I mean, it was that far they were just that far ahead um and it's not taking anything away from anyone else it is just that just speaks to how passionate all of you all are as readers about uh, your favorite pale ale brewer and that's sierra nevada so finish us out with favorite stouts and porter brewers uh, joe you got it number 20 angry chair number 19 perennial out of st louis number 18 modern times number 17 sierra nevada Number 16, Samuel Smith. Number 15, Firestone Walker. Number 14, Ale Smith. Number 13, Weldworks. Number 12, Deschutes out of Bend, Oregon. Number 11, Treehouse. Number 10, Bottle Logic. Number 9, Trillium. Number 8, Side Project out of St. Louis, just appearing on the list. Number 7, Fremont. Number 6, North Coast. And top five favorite stout and porter brewers, we've got Goose Island at number five. Number four, Left Hand. Number three is Bells, appearing on m multiple of these lists. Number two, Founders, also appearing on multiple lists. And your number one favorite reader's choice stout or porter brewer is Guinness. Well done. Thank you for all of you all who have voted on those categories and shared those interesting results with us. Um, we're going to move on to the category of favorite beer cities next. But before we do that, Five Star Chemical and Supply is your leading provider of cleaning, sanitizing, and adjunct chemicals for breweries throughout North America and internationally. All products have been formulated with safety, equipment, material, and quality in mind. Are you interested in trying their products? Contact support at fivestarchemicals.com to inquire about a free craft brew sample pack and only pay the shipping. Just mentioned that you heard it here on the, on the podcast. Cheers to beer. Also, Grandstand is your source for the latest trends in custom printed drinkware, apparel, and promotional items. They make your job easy by serving as your one-stop shop for everything. Visit egrandstand.com forward slash lookbook to see what's trending. Let's dive into favorite beer cities. Uh, this one, uh, I mean, you know, I guess when you look at our readers choice lists in every issue or sorry, every best in beer issue, they are basically a popularity contest. I mean, that is kind of the, the gist of what they are. And so uh, some of this, I think, aligns with where people are and where our readers are and where those are that are uh, following what we do. And the number. Uh, so let's count down from 20 to number one of favorite beer cities in the number 20 spot. 
Tampa, St. Petersburg, Florida. The number 19 spot, uh, staying in number 19 year over year, is uh, Bend, Oregon. Number 18, Atlanta, Georgia. Number 17, St. Louis, Missouri. Woo. Milwaukee, Wisconsin's popping in at 16. That's an unexpected one. Number 15, Richmond, Virginia. Nothing. I don't want to take anything away from Milwaukee, but uh, you know that's that's an interesting. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a cool Richmond, cool Virginia, see, yeah, uh, traditional beer city. Yeah, I mean, it's cool to see them pop on the list like that. Not and not a huge city, you know, kind of like St. Louis, kind of punching above its weight. Right, right. Uh, Richmond, Virginia, number fifteen. Uh, number fourteen, Burlington, Vermont. Number thirteen, Philadelphia, a classic beer town. Number twelve, Boston, Massachusetts. Number eleven, New York, New York, moving up in the list. Number ten, Los Angeles, California, entering the list at number ten. Uh, someone must have done some vote stumping out there in uh, in LA this year because we've seen a number of breweries from the LA area showing up on these lists and uh, at the levels that they didn't last year. So. Uh, you know, hey, thanks for showing up, L.A. Uh, Seattle at number nine. Fort Collins, Greeley, Colorado at number eight. Uh, Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, Michigan at number seven. Portland, Maine at number six. Chicago, Illinois is number five. Portland, Oregon is number four. And the top three remain unchanged year over year. Number three, Asheville, North Carolina. At number two, San Diego, California. And at number one, Denver, Boulder, Colorado, where we would be for the Great American Beer Festival uh, last weekend. And uh, unfortunately, due to COVID, we are remotely uh, having to do these kinds of things. Hope everyone tuned in for that, bought their ticket and supported the Brewers Association through this uh, this difficult year that they're having. Let's talk about beer bars, Joe. Why don't you uh, count us down from number 20? I'll do it. And I find both these lists to be really bittersweet right now, you know, but I think next year is going to be a great year. Uh, I wish I know we'd all love to be traveling more right now. Uh, Best beer bars around the world, according to our readers. Number 20, the Porter Beer Bar in Atlanta, Georgia. Number 19, Beer on the Wall in Park Ridge, Illinois. Number 18, the Avenue Pub in New Orleans. Number 17, Beer Karma in Brooklyn, New York. Number 16, old classic institution here, Max's Tap House in Baltimore, Maryland. Number 15, the Glendale Tap in Glendale, California. Number 14, the Browder's Cafe in Seattle, Washington. Number 13, Hop Leaf in Chicago. Number 12, the excellently named El Bait Shop in Des Moines, Iowa. Number 11, Tap and Handle in Fort Collins. Number 10, the Armsby Abbey in Worcester, Massachusetts. Number 9, Flying Saucer in various locations. Number eight, the Brickstore Pub in Atlanta. Number seven, oh, here's one I don't know how to say. Is it Novare Res in Portland, Maine? Novare Res. Okay, close enough. Number six, Yard House, various locations. Number five, Tornado, various locations. Number four, Hop Cat, also various locations. Number three, Monk's Cafe in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Number two, the Church Key Beer Bar in Washington, D.C., and again, your number one best beer bar around the world, Falling Rock Tap House in Denver, Colorado. I was there recently. They're hanging in there. And I hope a lot of these other places, hope they're all still here when we get through this thing next year. Absolutely. And for all of you that are listening to this, uh, if you have a chance to go get some takeout or do something 
to help support your local beer bars. Um, they do not have some of the benefits that breweries have and the ability to package and have alternate uh, revenue sources. And uh, a lot of them are in dire, dire shape and they need your support to remain in business and to continue pouring great beer for all of us in the future. So if you can and if you have a chance to support beer bars, um, find a way. Uh, they need our help to so that they can survive and uh, continue making our beer world as diverse and interesting as it is. Let's pivot now and talk about our Reader's Choice Top 50 Beers of 2020. Um, let's start at number 50 with Old Nation M43 IPA. Uh, was on the list at 46 last year and is still there on the list now. At uh, number 49, Bierstadt Lagerhouse Slow Pour Pills entering the list. Um, for a small brewery that doesn't distribute, uh, that's, a, uh, that's a, a big call right there. Yeah, number 48, Left Hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, they are, they're making inroads. And I'll tell you, lagers are everywhere on the list this year at a, at a level and a intensity that uh, we have not seen before. So it's real people. Number 48, left hand nitro milk stout. Number 47, Fremont Lush. Number 46, Fathead's Headhunter. Uh, number 45, Dogfish Head 90 Minute. Number 44, Bell's Hop Slam. Number 43, Sierra Nevada Celebration. Number 42, Russian River Blind Pig. Number 41 is Great Lakes Edmund Fitzgerald Porter. Love that one. Such a classic. Well, I'll do the next 10. We got number 40, Deschutes with Fresh Squeezed IPA. Number 39, Half Acre Daisy Cutter appearing on the list. Number 38, Firestone Walker Union Jack IPA climbing up the list 10 spots. Number 37, Deschutes Black Butte Porter, another great classic. 36, Samuel Adams Oktoberfest. So we have a seasonal appearing on the list. I mean, also it's no Jack O'Pumpkin. It's no Jack O'Pumpkin, but I mean, that, that's right. an all right beer. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There you go. We'll just leave that reference there. 35, North North Coast Old Rasputin Stout. 34, The Alchemist Focal Banger. Number 33, on a Hefeweiss Beer, climbing up the list. Number 32, Boulevard Tank 7. And number 31, Lawson's Finest Sip of Sunshine IPA. At 30, uh, Youngling Traditional Lager. At 29, Brasserie d'Orval's Orval. Number 28, Founders Canadian Breakfast Stout. Number 27, Stone IPA. Number 26, Oscar Blues Dale's Pale Ale. Kind of fitting that trend we saw this year of some classics and craft regaining new strength. 25, Toppling Goliath King Sue. 24, a Fat Tire Amber Ale from New Belgium. Speaking to the exact same thing I was just talking about. Uh, Dongfish Head 60-Minute IPA is in 23. At 22, Treehouse Julius. And 21 is Sierra Nevada Torpedo IPA. And that one climbed 22 spots. And I think that's cool. People were sort of going for the the hazy little thing and all this. And, but the torpedo is hanging in. There. It's not just hanging in there. It's been selling like crazy this year. Well, yeah. The hazy IPA uh, it took a little bit of a dive. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second here. Yeah. Um, but why don't you talk them through uh, 20 to, to 11 here? Yeah. One of my favorite beers ever. Firestill Walker Pivo Pills at number 20. That climbed 11 spots. Number 19, Three Floyd's Zombie Dust Pale Ale. Number 18, Weldworks Juicy Bits IPA. Number 17, Hetty Topper IPA from The Alchemist. Number 16, New Belgium Voodoo Ranger. 
another moving big all the way up from number 40 to number 16 in one year yeah, yeah. number 15 toppling goliath pseudo sue number 14 samuel adams boston lager hanging in there among the aficionados number 13 goose island bourbon county brand stout Number 12, Pilsner Urquell climbed from 41 up to 12. And if that's not a sign of people taking lager a little more seriously than this year, I don't know what is. And number 11, Founders Kentucky Breakfast Stout. Number 10 is also Founders with Breakfast Stout. And number 9, Sierra Nevada Hazy Little Thing, dipping down a little bit on the list, but still top 10. Uh, number 8, Cigar City Highlight IPA. And number 7, Founders All Day IPA. Number six, the beer that Joe is drinking right now, Brasserie DuPont's Saison DuPont. It's almost empty. Also, yeah, which was also number six last year, so they are holding strong there. Number five, Allagash White, a absolute classic and widely respected. I mean, I guess all of these beers, in the, at least in the top 20, 20, 30 or so, uh, maybe even the entire 50 could claim that. Uh, number four, Guinness Extra Stout. And number three... Also in number three last year, Pliny the Elder Imperial IPA. And number two was last year's number one, and it has now dropped a spot. That is Bell's Brewery Two-Hearted IPA. And in the number one spot this year, it was number two last year, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Am I crazy, or do the one and two just keep taking turns switching? <laughs> one, two, and th- yeah, it's really one and two, and then it's like Russian River and Pliny the Elder is just always just right behind him right there it's um you know there's some pretty good consistency uh and it's i think it was only something like 10 or 15 votes that ended up separating the number one and number two and so it's still a tight race i mean when we're talking about thousands and thousands of votes um it becomes a pretty you know tight race for that kind of thing so okay joe i think it's now time to talk about our editor's picks for our top beers of 2020 before we do that abs commercial is excited to be a part of today's podcast ABS is a full brewery outfitter offering brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and small parts. ABS wanted to do something fun for the craft beer industry, so they're giving away an ABS Keg Viking keg washer live on December 5th, which happens to be National Repeal Day. To enter, go to www.abs-commercial.com, click on Keg Viking page, and fill out the contest form for your chance to win. Also, the quickest way to see every new issue of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine is by subscribing, since subscribers get immediate access to digital editions of the magazine via PDF and our mobile apps. If you want to read this entire Best in Beer issue now, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on the subscribe button, and join. So let's do it, Joe. No time like the present. Let's dive into the big show, our best 20 beers in 2020. And let's start that off. Why don't you start off with a a brewery that focuses on lagers out of Chicago, Illinois? Yeah. Well, we got Dovetail Hellas right here in our top 20. And this is pretty exciting for us, I think. I mean, we had uh, Dovetail as a breakout brewer. Actually, it was our best in beer 2019 issue a year ago. Um, And... For first of all, they're among our critics' picks, which which um, we're going to get into our critics' picks in the next podcast episode. Um, but three different critics of ours picked out Dovetail beers. Um, we already knew we liked them, and then when we get to blind tasting for this issue, 
to have uh, to have them rise to the top with a couple of different beers, and it was actually hard to choose. I'm not even sure this one is my favorite one of theirs because I really love that Rauch beer. I really love that Czech dark lager they did this year. Uh, their Kolsch is perfect, basically. Um, what I love about these guys, besides the fact that the beers are great, they're really stubborn about traditional methods. So they've got a cool ship actually for cooling, not just not for making sour beers only, but for cooling the lager as part of their process. They're doing decoctions. They're doing spunding. They're doing all that stuff for to make a, the process as traditional as possible. The beers all have a kind of a Franconian character to them to me. There's a little bit of minerality to them. Um, the, the malts come from there too. And this Hellas... Although it's, you know, it's not like when I look at uh, objectively, it's, I love the beer, but it's one that has just grown on me and grown on me the more that I've, I've drank it. And, um, and when it just really shined in our tastings. Um, so I, I think it's, it's a great pick here. Dovetail out of Chicago. Congratulations. This is a wonderful beer. For our next pick, we're going to go in a completely opposite direction. And that is Toppling Goliath Assassin barrel-aged imperial stout um, why not jump right from hellas to uh what what could be the exact polar opposite of that on the beer spectrum uh and that is the darkest richest most intense barrel-aged uh stout uh one that our judges rated a perfect 100 this past year and uh you know as we as joe and i were talking through this we've we i think we had five beers this year uh throughout the course of craft beer and brewing that tilt were rated 100s by our blind panel of reviewers. And so for us, that uh, carries an immense weight. And uh, all five of those beers are here in our top, in our, our best beers of 2020. Um, with Toppling Goliath Assassin, you know, this is a beer that I think I've had every year, every other year since the, you know, at least 2013. And we've watched an arc kind of take place as, you know, in, that, in the early days of this beer, um, it was revolutionary. It was, you know, something different and singular and its own uh, kind of approach to beer. And I think Toppling Goliath and Perennial and a few others had just carved out a different identity for what these kinds of beers could even be. You know, I think the entire category was defined by Bourbon County Stout. I mean, obviously being the kind of originator of imperial of barrel aged imperial stout you know bourbon county has has had the luxury of defining it for so many years but they came out with these thicker bigger body a little more chocolate forward you know richer deeper base notes uh kinds of beers and they they've really they just changed uh they created a different flavor approach to brewing imperial stout um and then what was initially novel and different uh, quickly became something that others in the market, other producers adopted. And so, and then over that time, we also watched something like Top and Goliath, uh, you know, even though the fermentation profile shifted a little bit, it became a little bit more estuary. It, um, you know, wasn't quite as, uh, I don't want to call it crisp, but it just wasn't as tightly defined. And it had, uh, there was a little more dark fruit character in there. And so we watched you know, from a kind of public persona and perspective, watched, um, you know, some folks, uh, you know, how to say this nicely. I think that, uh, you know, some of the trader crowd and the, the, the geekier elements of the beer world looked at Assassin and uh, didn't give it the credence that it once uh, held, unfortunately, just because of that. And I think that this 2020 edition of Assassin is a dramatic shift back to the assassin of old that kind of um 
well-defined, well-structured, well-sculpted, um, tightly layered, dark, rich, deep, dark chocolate notes with beautiful middle layers of, of caramel and toffee notes that kind of hide amongst, amongst that deep roast there. Um, a much lower kind of ester profile, uh, not much dark fruit in that fermentation character to talk about. And, uh, you know, the result is just a little bit punchier. And I think that that's the reason that it primarily stood out with our judges this year and why they found it so interesting and so compelling. And so it's awesome and fun to watch a beer like Assassin that has been a part of this story for the past decade of barrel-aged Imperial Stout and watch um, – you know, Sabo and crew kind of reassert their uh, influence and uh, show the world of brewing just what they're capable of in this beer. Let's flip back in the other direction again, Joe. And why don't we talk about um, Springdale Kolsch money? Yeah, well, so Springdale, your reader's choice favorite lager brewer is Jack's Abbey. And Springdale is the everything but lager side of Jack's Abbey Brewing. So it's not really a huge surprise that they would make a totally precise, beautiful, basically perfect Kolsch. Um, we could have, and we considered putting, um, for example, Jack's Abbey Postship Pilsner or uh, in this spot, or their Copper Legend Oktoberfest beer, which did really well with uh, with our blind judging panel. Um, but in the end, um, we had to go with this one. It's just... Um, it's perfect. It's a perfect beer. Uh, it's got just a little bit of like a whisper of pear drop ester over it that tells you it's a Kolsch. Um, it is perfectly attenuated. I don't like the word crisp. I think it gets overused, but I, but here it's the word. It's It fits. Um, it's a little bit, um, I'd say like a little more bitter than the classic Kolsch profile, and I like that. Um, just a touch more, not a lot. Um, and we, and this is exciting too. We have a recipe for it in, in this issue, which I think is really cool. We went out and found a couple recipes for some of our best in beer picks. This is one. So if you want to brew a great Kolsch at home, we've got a homebrew recipe here, and this would be a great starting point to work with. Subscribe or pick up this new issue of Craft Beer and Brewing's Best in Beer uh, right now and brew it yourself at home. Thanks uh, to Jack Hendler and the, and the Jack's Abbey and Springdale crew for sharing that with our readers. Next up in our top 20 beers of 2020 was the only Saison to score 100 with our blind panel, and that is Yazoo Brett Saison, Yazoo Brewing out of Nashville, Tennessee. You know, this one was uh, just absolutely spectacular. It uh, had that kind of borderline goose-like mineral funk, you know, which in some ways is is heftier than what we generally expect out of a beer called Saison. Um, you know, and, and for American brewers, I mean, American brewers tend to uh, push these lines all of the time. You know, what we consider mixed fermentation Saisons with their amount of uh, kind of fruit character um, and these kinds of you know, intense woody expressions, are, they're certainly not traditional 
and by any stretch, these are American iterations building on historical uh, building blocks, but creating something new and different. And I think that this kind of iteration of quote unquote Cezanne is the same kind of thing. Um, it may not be historically rooted in what Cezanne used to be, but uh, then again, all styles as we know them are living and breathing things and they are, uh, they move at the whims of brewers themselves and it becomes creative iterations of these things that help us define what they become in the future. And I think that uh, Brett, Yazoo Brett Saison is just one of those beers that will help continue to define what a Brett Saison can be and should be and what our expectations are for that. That light goose-like mineral funk, you know, but also a nice kind of soft and bready uh, malt character to it. Um, orange marmalade, lime, yuzu, kiwi, fried plantain. You know, there are uh, lots of these you know fun fruit notes, but with layers of... You know, very light caramel and breadiness in the mix there so that it doesn't just become all fruit. That sip is super dry and get, that bitterness becomes a bit pithy, which, you know, adds that additional layer to it. Um, and then there's just those zesty phenols that tend to uh, dry it all out again and uh, and make it and give it that kind of clean finish off your palate. Just an absolutely beautiful beer that's tightly edited. And, uh, you know, Brandon Jones and the Embrace the Funk side of Yazoo are doing some fantastic work. And it's fun to be able to, to celebrate this beer from them. Next up on the list is uh, out of Hood River, Oregon, Freem and their Czech Dark Lager. This one was another 100-rated beer from our blind tasting panel this year. And it was only a matter of time before Freem hit with one of these because, you know, as I looked back through Freem's record of scores in craft beer and brewing, it's quite incredible at ju just how consistently high they score as a brewery. Obviously, on this podcast, we've talked to Josh. I've talked to Josh Freem in the past. Um, incredibly thoughtful brewers that are very intentional, purposeful, and uh, and are highly focused on their lager beers. This Czech Dark Lager was uh, just absolutely phenomenal. I love that this year and in the past, you know, eighteen months have seen more and more breweries diving into the lager canon and moving past just Pilsner and Hellas or Schwartz beer and kind of and stretching out into um, other lager styles and looking at what's kind of possible in this lager realm. And Czech Dark Lager has become one of those categories that has really, really, you know, taken off this year. Um, this specific uh, uh, Czech style Tamave was just clean, concise, timeless, you know, had these light toffee, pumpernickel spice, burnt bread crust notes, um, but also this just really pleasant noble hops uh, kind of structure to it and light floralness that uh, that kind of pulled it all together. You know, it, none of the pieces competed with each other. Everything was just perfectly complimentary. Um, but it was just a technical achievement. You know, every single piece of it from the lingering lace uh, of the head as you moved through the glass um, just shows the kind of approach to technical brewing that uh, Freem focuses on. And to match that kind of technical acumen with the kind of flavorful, thoughtful approach to building that um, just set this beer apart. And so it was clearly 100 for our judges and a no-brainer to include right here on this list. Joe, why don't you uh, talk to us about the next beer, Hop Butcher for the World, Run to Daylight. Yeah, this is a fun beer. I mean, I think this uh, the, the whole hazy, juicy trend with these, uh, you know, 16-ounce cans, colorful artwork. Um, 
if you if you don't know better, it does look a lot of looks like a lot of style over substance. Um and often it is, let's be honest. Um with these guys, it's the real deal. I was a skeptic. I'm no longer a skeptic about this. I think we've talked a lot about uh Jamie and I privately have talked about how we think sometimes the the double, triple, imperial uh scale of these hazy, juicy IPAs makes more sense to us. Um the beer gets rounder, it gets more balanced. And a lot of these beers are frankly too sweet to drink much of anyway. So might as well just crank up the ABV and make it a nightcap, right? Um, and for me, this Run to Daylight, uh, it was one of my favorite beers of the year. Um, it is a very orange juicy screwdriver-like triple IPA. Um, it's a, you know, it's a it's a sugary cocktail of a beer. And it's just so well integrated. You've got the Citra, Galaxy, Simcoe, and Strata hops all working together. I get like torn lime wedges in the nose, um, some pineapple daiquiri along with that fresh squeezed orange juice. The sweetness is there. It's present. It's evident. But it it doesn't cloy. Not quite. Um, and it's just... I mean, these beers are just fun, and I, and I think with with these guys, I mean, we they they make some, by the way some really nice hop forward lagers too. They, they just work beautifully with hops. These guys are like hop wizards, uh, and um, it's it's almost like it's in the name of the brewery or something. I, and and when you know, <laughs> yeah, well, there you go, yeah. And you know, I, the way when they when I taste their bigger stuff, the double triple stuff, I just want them to. I, I want to see how far they can push it. You know, it's like if this is what you're doing on the higher end, just. You know, cut it loose. What else can you do? Anyway, these guys are always fun to follow, and this is this was a, a great beer. Great, with, it was. I scored a hundred with our panel, right? It did. It did. Yeah. And one of our judges, one of our judges described this beer now, and and the judge in particular, I won't name him, just to you know allow him his anonymity, but uh, is a professional brewer for a brewery uh, in Colorado here for one that people know of, and. Uh, he, well-trained, thoroughly trained on sensory, everything else. Um, in the notes that, that he wrote about this beer in, uh, you know, privately on our judging form, because we use a, a, a digital form that our, our judges fill out. I remember specifically, he said, this may be the best IPA I've ever tasted. Um, you know, and that's, those, that's just incredible praise coming from, you know, folks that drink as much and as many different beers as our judges do. Um, this one was just a spectacularly cohesive, um, compelling example of this triple IPA. I know I say it all the time, but uh, I love to claim that I don't love triple IPAs. And then I drink triple A's and re remind myself of just how much I love the intensity that, that this captures all of that hopsness that I just absolutely love. And so I have to stop saying that that uh, I don't love triple IPAs because clearly, especially in this kind of hazy, juicy realm, uh, they are they have become my favorite uh, iterations of this entire style. Um, but yeah, congratulations to Hot Butcher. This is a well earned, well deserved credit, and a credit to them as brewers for for pulling that off. Absolutely. Next up on yeah, next next up on our list, uh, we're going way back down in ABV, down into that five percent realm, five and a half percent, with Firestone Walker's Nitro Merlin Milk Stout. And uh, as our our panelists and our uh, working through our stout issue last issue, we're working through these beers. Um, Nitro Merlin Milk Stout rated, I think, a 98 with the panel. Um, 
But as I was writing my editor's uh, review of that beer, I was thinking about something that Stephen Kirby from Hogshead, you know, kept saying while we were doing the podcast with him, uh, while I was doing the podcast with him. And that was, you know, that every beer should tell a story and the, you read, you can see the story of that beer at the lacing on the glass as you finish it. And as I was, as I poured this can of Nitro Merlin milk stout out, the first and most spectacular uh, impression that it made was this thick, incredible foam and head, you know, nice chocolatey dark head that just lingered and lingered and lingered. And I mean, it took five minutes for that head to die down to a point where I was really ready to take a sip. And it stuck around for at least 20 or 30 minutes with a pretty significant amount of head still left over. As I took each sip from that glass, you know, a new mark appeared on it and a new mark appeared on it. And so looking at it from a kind of technical brewing perspective and a focus of the brewers on creating a beer that uh, that technically is brewed with malt in a way to produce that kind of uh, foam retention and head retention and to kind of tell that story over and over and then being able to package that beer in 12 ounce cans that are then sold across the country and be, you know, that are then when they're poured, give you that same kind of experience. It's a special achievement. And, uh, uh, we can certainly chalk that up to the brewers at Firestone Walker because they are an amazing technical brewers. Now, if it were just a feat of technical brewing, uh, it certainly wouldn't be on this list because there are plenty of breweries that have mastered that kind of technical approach, but this, the flavor of this beer complemented that kind of insanely tight technical approach um, with all of these nice little touches, you know, chai spice, light roasted coffee, caramel apple, a little touch of marshmallow, again, all in very subtle notes um, in very minor ways, nothing heavy handed, nothing over the top, nothing you, you know, when we say these flavors, people start to think, Oh, I didn't get caramel apple out of that. I'm like, well, you know, we're talking about very subtle impacts of these very, um, tightly placed, you know, small flavor notes that add complexity in a very simple beer. And this one just pulled it off in a way that I just haven't tasted. I mean, uh, part of it was dealing with COVID and everything else, but being able to sit here in my basement, drinking that beer, thinking about it, contemplating it, but enjoying it and watching it tell me a story, um, you know, as I was going through it, I understood completely what our judges thought when they they rated it the best of the small stouts in our stout issue this year. I, you know, and I, we taste a lot of uh, big, thick imperial stouts with, you know, apple pies and stuff in them and, and uh, lots of lactose. And I think it would be a mistake to say that this beer is light and restrained because it's really indulgent. I mean, it, it does have a richness to it and, and it tastes like chocolate and marshmallows and, and uh, cocoa and chocolate milk. And it's, it's, a, it's so like, it's an easy beer to like. You could put it in front of just about anybody and they would get it. Um, and it's just, a, it's, it's a crowd pleaser type beer. It looks good. It tastes delicious. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great beer. And at five and a half percent, you know, you can drink more than one and enjoy it. And uh, yeah, that's quite an accomplishment. So kudos to Firestone Walker uh, for this one here on our list. Uh, next up on our list, Joe, why don't you take this next one? So we got uh, Grains of Wrath, Crypt Keeper. Um, these guys is out of Camas, Washington, which is Washington State, but it's really Portland, Oregon area. Um, it's not not as far from central Portland as it looks on a map, let's say. Um these guys came onto our radar because of their Vienna Lager, 
which had won GABF 2018, it won a bronze, and then last year it won a silver. Um, so when we wrote about Vienna Lagers earlier this year, we thought, okay, we better get some of that and taste it. It was great, of course. Uh, but they also threw some IPAs in the box, and then they started submitting beers also for our, our blind tasting panel, and they just killed it. Uh, and this was um, one of the highest scoring of the year, this Grains of Wrath Crypt Keeper. And what you know, one thing I love is that they're they are like sticking with the West Coast style. It's bright, clear. It's beautiful. It's bitter, uh, but it's juicy. So I, I think this is where I think this is where I, one of the directions IPAs are going to go. Take all the juicy lessons out of out of the hazy trend, but 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 make it bright and crisp and bitter, and and uh, return to some of that. And I th- I'm excited about that. And these guys. Uh, know what they're doing. Mike Hunsaker, the the head brewer, he he honed his uh, skills at, at Fatheads and then kind of developed his own style that he's gets to do now at Grains of Wrath. This beer is so fun. One of my beers of the year, and it's in my critics' picks, is Dystopia, another IPA from them. Um, it's I'm excited to see where West Coast IPA is going to go in the next couple of years. It's people are wanting it again, and uh, and if you're looking for it you can do a lot worse than try to find some stuff from grains of wrath congratulations to uh to mike and owen at grains of wrath this is a wonderful beer next up on our list american solera cool ship road trip tulsa oklahoma's american solera uh you know really blew the socks off of uh, our review panel with with cool ship road trip this year and this is another one that was just an incredible high score what a interesting project too in order to create it because this is a collaboration beer between american solera and jester king where each year they brew wort at the respective breweries at, um and basically they'll brew i guess brew a jester king and drive to oklahoma and uh, cool the cool ship the uh, the wart along the way and then uh, barrel it there in Oklahoma and then age it and they'll they'll you know and then they do the same thing then brew a batch at American Solera cool ship it while driving it down to Jester King and then barrel it age it you know everything else uh, blend and then package there um, but this one is probably I mean when we think about collaborative uh, projects between breweries. This one was three years in the making. It is a goose-like blend of one, two, and three-year beer that they did over three years of doing this kind of uh, collaborative uh, work sharing and cool shipping process in order to finally get to this year where they blended the end result and finally released it. Um, I mean, that's insane, you know, from a collaboration process to do this that many times before you actually even release a beer, um, you know, out uh, commercially. And so the patience involved is incredible with this. Um, you know, and there are plenty of collaborative projects where you see the idea, you read about it. It sounds cool. It's a great, you know, press hook. It's going to get you some likes on Instagram and that's really fun and people drink it and then it's gone. And and that's that. Uh, but this is a project that has produced a beer that was just extraordinary that, uh, you know, that I think, and, and, realistically we don't often get that out of collaboration beers you know most of the time collaboration beers are opportunities to uh, take risks and try something different and when you do that you can come up with some interesting results but it's usually not world-class results um 
it is a special thing to then be able through that blending process, through that aging process and that selection process to find a beer through the various barrels of, you know, uh, that have been aged in this project to then come up with a finished beer that is this extraordinary, just light, a little bit peppery, lemon lime citrus woody bread notes that kind of like bright mimosa sip that carries that kind of fruit character but does so in a kind of nuanced and layered way with a like hefty minerality and a phenolic funk um the acidity on this beer is so well controlled it's so light and perfectly placed obviously that's a trend that you will see through all the beers especially in that kind of wild and sour category as you know we tend to enjoy our judges intend to intend to enjoy and we intend to enjoy those beers that um, strike a less intense uh, acidic balance and this one just absolutely nails it anyway it's a really cool beer and it was a crazy experiment that they went all in on for year after year after year uh, and the results have absolutely paid off with cool ship road trip the story on that one is so great like the story isn't enough to make the beer on this list but uh, the fact that the beer holds up uh, so well, just you know, after the, such a cool story is is really great. That's exactly right. Uh, so the next one of our editors' picks, top twenty. Um, this one is these guys talk about a brewery to watch. Uh, this is Brick West Get Right Goza out of Spokane, Washington. Um, they've only been around for about a year, and I didn't even realize that because I had been um, tasting the beers for the magazine and. It was, they're just incredibly sort of mature, accomplished, n- near perfect loggers, maybe, you know, basically perfect loggers. The Pilsner and Hellas came into our blind panel reviews and got in the upper 90s. Uh, then their Imperial Stout did the same thing. Um, and so we were even, um, some of those beers also, a couple of those beers were also in the discussion, fi- sort of final discussions. But the one that really, with our final rounds of tasting for this issue, uh, really rose to the top was this Goza so delicate I, I mean when we get you know pilsner and uh or sorry pilsner and hellas that came in and scored like a 96 and a 98 and you know immediately like who is this brewery where'd they come from and how on earth and i looked into it was like they've been open for six months and they sent us you know this these you know kind of they like they have gone all in and and sent us crowlers of them nonetheless uh, from a review standpoint, crawlers can be some of the most volatile for- packaged formats for beers that we review just because if they're not perfectly purged and, um, you know, basically perfectly packaged, you can end up with flat beer, oxidized beer much more readily than you can in some of other packaged formats. Um, and these crawlers of Pilsner and Hellas just held up so beautifully, you know, for our, our, our review panel. Um, yeah. So it was like the, where, where on earth did these folks come from? And this goes, uh, I mean, the, the word that just uh, keeps popping in my mind with this beer is delicate. It's just so uh, light and it's very lively like champagne. Drink it from a tall flute type glass. Uh, it just tiptoes right across your palate. Uh, the the salt is restrained. It's there, but it's very subtle and restrained. The acidity is nicely judged. It's tart. It's very refreshing. It's not sour. It's not rough. It doesn't put a foot wrong in any direction. Um, it's just a it's just a lovely, lovely beer. And I, I've been to Leipzig and I've I've drank Goza in Leipzig. And I'm not going to say 
it tastes like those. This is um, something else. It's it's um, almost on a more technically technically accomplished level. It's it's its own thing. Um, it structurally, it's perfect. It's f- incredibly precise. You could drink so much of this, um, but it's just uh, sparkles in the glass. It's a really really nice beer. And thank you also to Sam Milne for uh, he shared our, we got a homebrew recipe for this one too. And he included so many notes with the recipe, we were able to make a whole other Brewer's Perspective article about about their approach to brewing Goza. And uh, if you're interested in brewing that kind of beer, you definitely want to check this out and and figure out their approach and see see what uh, tricks you might want to borrow from him. You know, normally we'll we'll ask brewers, hey, do you want to? You know, we'd love to share a recipe with our uh, our readers, and you know, maybe we'll get you know, malt percentage and, uh, you know, hops, yeah, kind of rough volumes. And we'll scale things around and ask a few questions and try to like get it all dialed in. And, uh, Sam sent us 1200 words on how to <laughs> brew, how to brew this Goza, which is just insane and incredible. But I think that, you know, um, you know, and the other recipe that we have in here for Springdale Kolsch is the same kind of thing. I think Jack wrote at least five or 600 words on this recipe and, I think what you find and what we find from that is you have brewers that care so finely about the process and are so exacting in the way that they accomplish this, that they can't tell you how to do it in fewer words. Um, And that speaks volumes about the beers. The fact that these are also very simple beers, and yet the instructions are so in-depth in how to achieve uh, and, and functionally uh brew these beers it says a lot about um again that kind of fine approach to process next up on our list um again (laughs) seems like we're shifting and we go from one extreme to the other uh next up on our list is another barrel aged imperial stout another one that uh, joe and i have had a few times and each time that we've tasted it this year it has reminded us of just how incredible a statement it is that's a side project beer barrel time side project uh, project out of st louis missouri maplewood missouri um beer barrel time is not a very old beer strangely enough you know it's not one it's not like assassin that's been around for eight or nine years and uh, has been brewed over that kind of time that's three years old now it was a project that uh, uh cory and the brewers side project came up with to kind of showcase on a regular basis uh, the kind of expression of the you know all of those three things the the base beer recipes the impact of barrel and the impact of time um, these vintages that uh, they're now in the blend of beer barrel time each year they've been stretching out a little bit more and a little bit more and so if you look at the first iteration of beer barrel time which was a 2017 you know generally they were 16 17 18 month ish you know kind of uh, aged stouts at this point with the the 2019 edition which came it comes out in um uh, the week of uh, thanksgiving generally every year uh this year i think the average was 22 months of age in the uh, the various components that are in the blend for this and of course age alone doesn't make for good uh barrel aged imperial stout you know it takes more than just uh, time in order to produce that but uh they are they i love the way the side project has engaged in their their barrel age and their their uh, big stout program because 
I think they've got eight or, or 10 recipes of various uh, kinds that are all going into different kinds of barrels. And the when they, they are not single stream beers, you know, when we think about brewing, we think, okay, I'm going to come up with a recipe. I'm going to brew it. I'm going to ferment it. And then I'm going to, you know, package it, or I'm going to further age it in spirits barrels. And then I'm going to release that beer. And that is not the way that they go about this. You know, they think about it in terms of, we put a bunch of these recipes in, we have a vague idea that these might become blending stock for various different kinds of beers that we will release at some point in the future. But, um, you know, those beers go into barrels, they age, and then they start coming up with things, you know, ideas for those beers based on what the barrels are telling them. And they build those blends out of them. This beer is every bit of quality as the best bourbons and the best wines that the world has to offer and should be considered in the same conversation as those beverages, as this exquisitely crafted, beautifully structured, um, rich, flavorful, thoughtful thing um, created by masterful hands. And so uh, that's my philosophical argument for the day. I think I've talked a little bit too long about this, but uh, um, but Side Project Beer Barrel Time is such a phenomenal beer. And as we were trying to think of other barrel-aged beers that might we might put in the spot, um, you know, we just we just kept coming back to it. Our blind our blind panel rated at ninety nine this year, and certainly echoes our absolute love for it. Um, yeah, I don't know if and you have it, any thoughts on that, Joe. Yeah, well, it's it's a it's it's an exceptional drink, uh, and it, it almost transcends beer and the way that it's it's made and produced and the way it presents. Um, and um, I I enjoyed a bottle over Thanksgiving weekend last year. My the plan was to share it with family who each you know would have a little taste and be like, oh, that's really great, yeah. But then they're going to move on to other things because they are not going to just hang around and drink beer barrel time all night. So I ended up enjoying the bottle throughout the weekend. I'd put a cork back in it. Uh, and sometimes I'd have it as a naughty little sidecar to a glass of bourbon or have it with ice cream or pumpkin pie. And it got better all weekend. Um, and it was like, it was breathing like a big cab and it was so fun to enjoy that thing. Um, and I, I mean, I, I know you maybe don't feel the way I do about this, but I almost feel guilty about including them because they don't need the attention. Side project doesn't need the attention. This beer particularly doesn't need the attention. Um, it's very hyped. It's got a high secondary market value, uh, which are things I'd rather not know about. I'll let you know about that stuff, Jamie. But um, you got to call out, you know, an exceptional drink uh, for what it is. And this is this is something that's um, it's a world class level beverage, and it's just. Uh, deserves a place on this list for sure. You know, there, I think that um, those factors actually create an additional layer of scrutiny for us as we consider these things. And so, um, you know, naturally as, you know, from our position, we tend to love to be contrarians just for argument's sake. We'd love to think about all the reasons that we shouldn't do things. Um, and, you know, this is one of those beers that we couldn't talk ourselves out of. You know, like as much as we might have tried or tried to find something, you know, this this year, this time, this iteration of the beer uh, it was such a spectacular experience that, uh, you know, it just it deserves all of these accolades. And we can't take those away just because the rest of the world also knows that. Um, walk us through the next beer, uh, which, again, shifts in the other direction back to uh, Pilsner. Right. Well, our next uh, editor's pick is one that. Um... Well, it's a surprise and it's not a surprise. So it's not a surprise 
for us to find the veil here on this list. Uh, what is surprise is that it's a Pilsner. I mean, and, and to say that we had, you know, a number of veil beers that made it to this kind of point in consideration. And in fact, you know, there's, I think culminate, um, was another big one from them that, uh, uh, you know, could have just as easily been on this editor's list. Um, there were just some spectacular beers that, that we've had from the veil this year. Uh, yeah. And some weird ones, you know, I'm not going to lie that, uh, circle of wolves, barley wine with, uh, bananas and it was um maybe a questionable aesthetic decision but uh <laughs> but you know it's it just it speaks a lot to their seriousness across a lo- you know a range of styles um that they're a brewery much more known for hazy ipas and and um ostensibly a lot more uh, focused on mixed fermentation and um and, and wild beers shows up here with a pilsner because it just it did really well with our blind tastings uh and it's delicious and then you start to find out a little bit more about how they're brewing it and they're um they're you know it's full of tetnanger and saz hops they're using floor malted barley it's it's step mashed they're using the spunding for natural carbonation and so there's a seriousness of purpose there uh not just for their you know uh, tr- trendy stuff and wild stuff, but also for, uh, for the lager. And, and there's, we, Jamie, we've had plenty of, uh, lagers from breweries better known for hazy IPAs. And we don't need to mention any of those beers, you know, like they're, most of them are not that good, but this was a really delicious Most of them Pilsner. are fine. They are fine, but they don't necessarily rise to this level of celebration where they are beers that we want to, um, you know, kind of put the full weight of our editorial support behind uh, that we feel are making some statement that needs to be recognized. Uh, and this beer does, you know, it absolutely does. There was, you know, and and it was interesting, I think, as we were getting into uh, through our best in beer tasting through some of these Pilsners, um, how our three final kind of finalists in that realm were so different from each other. And yet we're all, I mean, different within a, a relative range, of course, because they're all still Pilsners, um, but definitely had different aesthetic approaches. You know, I found that, uh, you know, the veil vein here, I wouldn't call it like a rustic approach, but there was just a touch of like toothiness to it that kind of set it apart there where it still had all of those beautiful, noble characteristics, but there was just this, this kind of grit in the uh you know in the malt character that made it feel special and and made it you know just made it interesting every step of it was just this beer that was interesting and also just beautifully drinkable at the same time it was i i love noble hops but i want to smell them and i want to taste them and this just had that aroma cranked up just a half notch so you're really getting your nose in that like lime zest herbal uh um thing and then there was enough malt to back it all up it was really nicely done so kudos to the the veil who have shown that they can not only brew the craziest uh, dessert styles that anyone might want to experiment with and uh you know fruit slushy sour beers or imperial stouts aged on oreos or god knows what else they can do all of those and they do all of those just fine and in fact do them incredibly well and some of our critics have mentioned their beers in their individual critics lists we'll get to that in the next episode of the podcast um 
you know, but yeah, to pull this uh, Pilsner out into the best beers of the year, it was, it said something, but uh, kudos to Matt Tarpey, uh, head brewer for the Vale and their whole brewing team for uh, creating this wonderful marvel of a beer. Uh, next up, I'm going to talk about uh, Untitled Arts Cherry Sour a la Mode, which was a weird one. You know, I, um, as we go through this, we also try not to be style purists. We love classic lagers. We love classic Belgian beers. Um, but I think that it also, the zeitgeist matters, that uh, the current trends matter, that beers are not wrong just because they don't fit into some historical model of uh, of what people have done before. Um, having said that, it's always an interesting challenge to find what we might consider a best example of some of these progressive styles and then defining a logic and a reasoning behind that kind of, uh, uh, you know, that creating a, a rubric by which we can judge a best. We definitely uh, took a principled approach to celebrating Untitled Arts Cherry Sour a la mode, um, which was a fantastically delicious beer, incredibly sweet, uh, over-the-top sweet, but also layered in flavor with everything from deep tart cherry kind of, uh, you know, uh, and pie seasoning cherry flavor to a tight little crusty breadiness, uh, you know, that was also super present in this, that nice hint of touch of vanilla making everything kind of pop. I mean, uh, and then of course this gorgeous pink body and bright pink foam that when you pour it on a glass, it just looks crazy and, and fun and, uh, exciting and visibly enticing. And so, um, you know, in this regard, it was such an interesting, uh, accomplishment in this kind of realm to do it in a way that we can, you know, we find technically sound, but is also incredibly compelling. You really, you really dug this one too, right, Joe? Uh, it was delicious, man. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an absurd. And beer. you are a purist. <laughs> you are yeah, a, totally. you, you wrote around <laughs> Belgium in 80 beers and uh, uh, another guide to, you know, to Belgian beer. I mean, it doesn't get more uh, traditionalist. Than yeah. You. But, but you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> but I'm also a beer judge. And, and if I was in a, you know, judging specialty beers and they put this thing in front of me and they said this is a cherry pie beer a la mode and it, that's exactly what it tastes like it's it's note perfect for that it tastes like a sour you know sour cherry pie you can smell the crust the ice cream element is there uh subtle but it's there and you said it's really you know like really sweet i mean it's sweet but it's but it's i think it's it's actually really balanced i mean it's um I'm not, i don't know if you could like sit and drink pint after pint of it but that's not the point of this at all you know this is like you could have this for dessert you could have it even as a as a aperitif before a meal and it's it's um it's delicious it's, it's fun really you know it's, it's fun. really sweet but that sweetness is is a selling point for the kinds of folks that like to drink these beers and so i don't take that away from them there is a time and a place for it and, uh, I mean, even I enjoyed every single time we drank it and I did drink this beer four times, I think through <laughs> the whole process because it was just so interesting. And I kept wanting, I kept wanting to go back to that experience and try it again, you know, just because it was so compelling like that. And I kept wanting to figure it out. And so, uh, 
you know, kudos to Entitled Art on this one. It, it was, uh, it's a very cool beer and it's excellent proof that you can be progressive in your approach to style, do it in a technically sound way and do it in a way that meets expectations for consumers without, uh, you know, causing some negative stuff to happen in the meantime. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Joe, walk us through, uh, uh, another Pacific Northwest IPA on our editor's list. Yeah. Well, is it an IPA? That's a fun question. It calls itself an IPA and I'm going to take their word for it. It's Wayfinder Relapse. And, um, this is the beer that convinced me that India Pale Lager was ahead of its time. Um, and maybe due for a comeback as well. If some of the IPLs, when maybe IPL, do, do for a rename, yeah, it could be. I don't know. It? I don't know. I mean, I don't think yeah. we have to. We, maybe we can make them better than they used to be. Because what I remember IPL is, is a terrible name. A IPL, lot, IPL is yeah, a terrible name. It's it's true. It doesn't make sense historically or anything. But but um, the a lot of the ones I remember uh, were pretty brusque, kind of sometimes roughly bittered. A lot of times, a lot of body uh, to them. And the only, di- you know, really the only difference between some of those and IPAs was, uh, the, was the yeast and the fermentation. Um, whereas here we're taking things arguably a step farther in the lager direction in terms of crispness and lightness of body appearance. It's, it's a very pale, uh, gold color. Um, they're in, in, in like, a say, a classic american lager they're using quite a bit of rice flakes in there to get that paleness and that crispness out of it um they call it a cold ipa uh it's hopped like an ipa but they're using you know weinstefaner lager yeast they're lagering it like a lager um and it's it doesn't really matter what it is or how they do it it's delicious and it's uh what seven seven percent alcohol um but which at, at its drinkability level makes it pretty dangerous um, because it's very easy to drink. It's nicely balanced. In the hop character, it's definitely got that Northwest dankness, piney dankness to it, a bit even catty. Um, but then there's, there is also that grapefruit rind in there too to keep it interesting. But it, it, it never feels rough. The resin doesn't stick to your tongue and prevent you from drinking more of it. Um, it's one that we were drinking, you know, late one night and just kept talking about it and, and working it out in, in our minds and, and um, got excited about it. The, the other thing they call it besides cold IPA, they say it's Wester than West Coast. And that's a good way to make sense of it. Um, if think about a West Coast IPA and what makes a West Coast IPA West Coast, they've just gone that much farther by treating it like a lager and They've lightening up that body. Up, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's so, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just, it's a fun beer to drink. I mean, they, Wayfinder is doing great lagers. There, there's their check as fuck. There's a check AF is how they bill it. You know, uh, the Hellas is wonderful. Um, they're really nice. If you go there, it's to Portland and that's something I was supposed to do this year. Unfortunately, it didn't work out, but they got the side poles. Uh, and so, um, they know what they're doing with the lagers. We could have put a lager in the slot, but this, Beer is so interesting and intriguing and delicious um, that it was, and it's just fun to talk about, and it's even more fun to drink it. Great beer! Congratulations to Kevin Davy, a Wayfinder. This is a wonderful beer. Let's talk about another uh, IPA after that, and that is uh, another one of our 100 rated beers. This one is the second year in a row that uh, New Anthem 
out of Wilmington, North Carolina has shown up on our editor's picks for top 20 beers or for the top beers of the year. Uh, Clapback is the beer this year, and it is on this list because it also scored a perfect 100 with our blind panel. We don't generally love to run back to, you know, breweries back to back, you know, in any given uh, year after year on this. Certainly it's a broad world of breweries out there with 8,000 plus in the U.S. and 20 some odd thousand around the world. Um, you know, our job as uh, editors of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine is to find the best and also kind of create that, um, you know, cover in a representative way, but also dig and uh, move past the easier, more comfortable things and find uh, the those brewers that are doing the most interesting work around the world. And so, um, again, we don't, you know, we don't love to to put people on this list year after year, but like I said, we had, I think, five perfect 100 rated beers this year, and you can't ignore that when our panel uh, rates beers at that kind of level. And so we couldn't deny New Anthem on this at all. Clapback in it, you know, itself is, I think, a perfect expression of Citra Hop. Like this is a uh, double IPA, 8% that is everything that we love about the citra hop um and i mean that in, with all of the components of citra because it is heavy on that orange juiciness it is uh, but it also carries a certain amount of light pithy bitterness to it um it has a little bit of a grassy and herbal character um, tightly tucked in there and so as you taste this beer it is not just eh, it's a juice bomb you know sure you could look at it that way and and if, if your palate is in that place, you can enjoy it as such, more power to you. Um, but as we taste it, we taste this kind of multi-layered, nuanced thing that really just tastes like all of those elements of the hop. And it becomes fascinating from that perspective. It is immediately pleasurable just on that um, slightly sweet um you know, uh, fruit juicy kind of level, but this kind of depth of the tropical character with grapefruit, tangerine, leashy, lime, orange, you know, with those kinds of herbal undertones makes it something that is more deep. You know, it is perfectly construct or perfect construction in there. That's interesting as well as being accessible. Um, I love that kind of thing. I love beers that work on those kinds of levels. I love something that we can enjoy from a critical perspective, but you know, your average fan that may not need to get into that kind of depth on it can just be like, dude, I love this. It tastes so awesome. It's a juice bomb. You know, both of those are valid uh, means of appreciation and enjoyment. Not going to judge. We all have different ways and reasons for enjoying what we do. And this one works on a couple of those different levels. And so kudos to New Anthem, second year in a row on our best beers of the year list. Yeah. So next on our list is one that um, I, I think we both knew after we drank it back in February that it may end up here. Um, we were at the Side Project Invitational there was a slushy machine at in at work, and um, that's not a, a crazy sight to see at beer festivals anymore. Remember beer festivals, anyways. Uh, so for me, I remember. I, I was highly skeptical, um, and the it was from Omnipollo. The full name of the beer: Bianca Blueberry Maple Chocolate Peanut Butter Pancake Lassi Goza. And um, I'm not gonna lie. I wanted to hate it. I wanted to. 
I saw it. I was like, this is ridiculous. This shouldn't be a thing. <laughs> it's going to be terrible. But it looked amazing. These little, you know, these glasses, this dark black liquid and this like almost glowing uh, violet colored um, soft serve stuff on top. And it's like you have to go and take a picture of it. You have to. And that's the game. So you go and you get one and you take a picture of it and you taste it. And you're like, okay, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's really good. It's delicious. I mean, they got so they got the sour beer part, the blueberry business up top to to the blueberry goes. I don't know. I, I'm not sure how all the parts fit together exactly, really, but it's it is uh, it is juicy and tart and refreshing actually. Uh, and then you get into that underneath part there with the the maple and the and the chocolateness and the and it's it's naughty. It was fun. It tasted really good, but as a phenomenon, it's it's fascinating in itself as a piece of theater. Um, it, it, it's um, it's a, almost a ceremony, you know. It's 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 not like going to a, you know your college bar in Columbia, Missouri. It was tropical liqueurs. Maybe there's one of those in your town uh, where you're you know picking out your frozen margarita, or whatever. This is this is something where the flavors are actually very considered, even if they are kind of jamming it together and see if it works. And it totally worked. Um, I think it's you know it's up there with. Uh, thinking about the you know the untitled art uh cherry pie a la mode the sour cherry a la mode it's it's fun and if you it just dares you to hate fun and i don't hate fun i like fun this beer is delicious it was cool i took pictures of it put it on the twitters you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. and to, you well, know we've had you know you've had plenty of these uh probably more, way more than i have these slushy beers and and i'm probably often they're a bit disappointing but this was this was fun go ahead so yeah no so what I like about this is that it you, what you mentioned about the drama is right um, as we wrote in the description about this it feels a little bit more Jose Andres than TGI Fridays you know there is there is fun there's obvious fun and then there is uh, fun with a purpose and I think that there is a fun with a purpose behind this that I find so interesting where um, it asks you to explore and you know, parse out uh, things like texture and temperature and um, the interaction between textures. It's a layered pour where it's beer on the bottom and then this smoothie uh, frozen pour above it. And it's so it's not just a pour of a, of, of slushy beer. Um, it's very distinctly poured into two layers in order to kind of achieve this. Um, but it also you know, you know, when you look at the kind of molecular gastronomy approach of fine chefs, there was the same kind of approach to theater, but there's also this element of wonder and merriment to it. And they don't deny that. Um, when you go spend $400 a plate to go you know, eat at a restaurant with Wiley Dufresne or a Blackbird in Chicago, you know, there is this kind of, um, theatrical fun element to it um of an, an entertainment and i think that that is a viable creative avenue brewers have they've begun to explore that i think omnipolo is one of the best at doing that in a way that is simultaneously fun pleasurable but also thoughtful and engaging um and not just hey let's put some beer in a smoothie machine and pour smoothies out of it you know there is a there's something else to it there that uh, that i find really interesting and so 
kudos to them for that because that was a really fun beer. I drank it also. It was a wonderful palate cleanser amongst all of those heavy, big imperial stouts at the side project uh, invitational. And uh, yeah, no, what a, a phenomenal experience. What a phenomenal event and a beautiful beer from a fantastic brewery. Up next, let's talk about uh, Rubens Brews, Three Rise Men. This was a 99 with our blind panel this year, and that's what pushed it out here. Um, we loved just the intensity and intentionality of it. I think the the blind panel themselves loved that it was sweet, but not too sweet. You know, I think that there are current uh, cloying trends happening in everything from Imperial Stout to Barrel Age Imperial Barley Wine that, um, you know, that kind of shift things off into... Uh, just a like stand out in the middle of the bottle share kind of direction. And this and three rise men was a beer that we can enjoy drinking by ourselves or in a small group drinking by the glass, even though it is a hefty beer. And it wasn't just one of those, let's crush it with Play-Dohs, you know, it was a tightly structured kind of mashup of Cadbury fruit nut bar with a Cadbury caramello bar, um, you know, a little bit of that, you know, that kind of, you know, f- uh, fruity, uh, dark fruit ester fermentation, um, cranberry, raspberry, currant kind of approach. And then also just these nice mid-tones of, of toffee and caramel that uh, made for so much fun and then you know this kind of vanilla coconut barrel note just pulled it all together delicious beer but still had a little bit of an herbal spice to it that kind of helped clean it out with a um you know and keep it from finishing with that kind of sweetness despite the kind of sweetness that it had and so i think that there you know that this kind of capacity within barley wine um to be delicious beers that don't have to be incredibly sweet sugar bombs it's a positive thing and we need to celebrate those. And uh, certainly our blind panel agreed with that one uh, and rating that one a 99. Yeah. The next one is, is another one of those breweries where they had a few beers that were kind of in the, in the late conversations. Um, and this was uh, the one of them that just uh, sort of blew many others away. Um, it's Wolf's Ridge double chocolate rum barrel direwolf. And it is one for the real dark chocolate lovers. Um, it is, uh, it's got this rich cocoa character to it on so many, so many uh, levels. It's like uh, there's a bit of roast nuts in the nose. It's got a, it's got, a, it's full bottled and kind of uh, full bodied and kind of you know fluffy feeling on the palate. Um, but you, you just you can't escape the dark chocolate with this one, no matter where you go. Um, it, it's like the, 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 the powder that goes on the truffles in a nice chocolate shop. And I can even imagine the, the, the chocolatier, like a Belgian chocolatier explaining how he went all the way to Guatemala to get this one type of cacao that he has to have to make this thing. It's like, it's, it's so nice. It tastes like uh, real chocolate, not like, uh, you know, thick chocolate milk. It's got uh, a lot of layers to that and it's, it was fun to drink. It's really balanced. The roast is there. There's just enough bitterness there. It's not one of these cloying chocolate syrup beers. Um, and um, it's it, it, because of that, it's much easier to drink than it ought to be for its strength. So it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful beer, highly accomplished in, in, uh, in technique and, and product, and it's a fun beer to drink. And it just, yeah, it did really, really well with our, with our tastings. 
Yeah. And we had so many interesting good beers from um from Wolf's Ridge this year, from their day ba- daybreak uh, kind of coffee cream ale to the Terre Sauvage and uh uh I think it was the St. Francis, the barrel aged um uh Belgian dark. You know, just really some standout beers across the board. And that's certainly um it's certainly something we take into consideration as we are thinking about uh, the kind of oeuvre or body of work from a brewery over a given year or, uh, you know, even recent history. Uh, it is fun when we see somebody firing on all cylinders that can produce really delicious beers across all of those styles makes it even more exciting to be able to, to, to celebrate and call them out for, uh, for one of these beers in our top 20 of the year. That coffee cream ale was really nice too. daybreak. I mean, it's that's that smell when you walk into a coffee shop where they're also doing some roasting, and you get that just really fresh coffee nose. That that's when you put your nose over this blonde cream ale. That's what you got. It was really cool. Great, great job, guys! Congratulations yeah. to uh, to uh, Wolf's Ridge. Next up is a beer that Joe and I both loved: Von Ebert's Alma. It's a mixed fermentation uh, beer. I, I guess you'd call it a Brett culture fooder aged farmhouse ale, um, aged on a thousand pounds of peaches. You know, fruit beers are not typically our our primary jam, but having <laughs> Every time I say something like that, I, I just find myself loving all these beers and having to walk it all back. You know, <laughs> um, we've had some other really interesting beers in this kind of lightly fruited, low, very light acidity, very delicate acidity kind of realm. Um, but Alma just like it just stood out. Even uh, as we are going through this best in beer tasting, uh, I do all our pre-tasting. I might taste 40 or 50 beers, um, you know, in a day. And, you know, in that kind of scenario, it is easy for things to to kind of fall by the wayside. But there are beers like this that I remember I can recall the experience, you know, particularly because it just stopped. I just stopped. You know, you taste this beer amidst all of these other beers and it just floored me. It just just stopped in my tracks and like took a breath like I need to slow my pace down here and just sit on this for 10 or 15 minutes and contemplate it, you know, because, and and because it was a simple beer, you know, it wasn't a beer that, that just, um, brought a shitload of flavor and tons of fruit flavor to just jump out of this kind of complex lineup lineup. It was an incredibly subtle beer, just a finely pointed beer. It was like muted and soft and, um, you know, furtive and quiet and didn't need to um, try to be more than it was, but it was so finely tuned and so beautifully structured. That peach flavor was there, but it was so tightly. It wasn't overly sweet. It was nicely dried out. It was still present. Um, Every piece of it was just at this kind of perfect level to make for an enjoying, an enjoyable, but small and uh, and thoughtful experience, and so um, that's what I loved about this beer. What what? How did it strike you, Joe? Uh, I I love the way that the fruit balanced against the funk in this one, and that's really hard to do. Um, but you had the the there was quite a lot of fruit in there. I mean, they use a thousand pounds of peaches in the you know in, in a fooder, or there's fooders and peaches involved somewhere along the line. I'm not sure all the order of everything, but but um, the fruit is there. I mean, it, it tastes like peaches and it presented to me more almost like uh, dried apricots too with that, with that uh, tartness to them. There's citrus peel in there coming from the bread, partly and from the acidity of the beer. But then there's that rustic barn and, and cellar floor 
aspect to it too that that grounds the whole thing and um it was um you know fun and serious at the same time in equal measure and um really balanced it wasn't too much in any direction it was it was uh just a really lovely beer nicely done yeah and that brings us to our last and final beer, our final uh, beer of our top 20 editors picks for 2020. Uh, and this one is a jointly awarded trophy for both, uh, for two projects that we both felt were important to highlight this year. They seemed to speak to the moment um, that is all together and black is beautiful. Both of these projects have been brewed by, uh, you know, uh, close to a thousand breweries or more than a thousand breweries uh, each you know they were large scale pro collaborative projects brewed by so many different breweries but all built around causes um, deep respect to sierra nevada for kind of spearheading this back in 2018 with the resilience project of putting a recipe out there and getting breweries to make their own iterations in order to you know um, if to support a social good. And, you know, in the case of resilience, it was the, the Butte County fire. Uh, the, I think it was the campfire right out at, uh, in uh, California, uh, which, <laughs> you know, was a huge fire at the time, which has now been engulfed, uh, you know, engulfed by this current fire that is so much larger and, and impactful. Um, but it was a great cause and a great idea to to rally brewers around it and all together did the same. Uh, I guess it was May, you know, bring, or late April, early May, bringing brewers together around the cause of supporting the plight of hospitality workers, of bringing um, more uh, visibility and notoriety to, you know, the kind of plight that hospitality workers were facing through these COVID shutdowns, unfortunately, obviously, none of us want to be dealing with this, but it is a you know condition of living in the world today and trying to keep people safe and healthy and uh, avoiding the kind of uh, deaths and medical complications that seem to be coming in uh, droves with COVID. And so in order to do that, we've had to make uh, sacrifices in our economy and sacrifices, uh, you know, the, those sacrifices have been most poignantly felt by those in the hospitality sector because that they are such those businesses are so impacted by physical presence and so smart thing that all uh, that other half brewing brought uh, pulled together with the all together project um and then not that long after that uh in mid to late may after the george floyd murder in uh in minneapolis uh and we started seeing this cultural awakening happening around issues of race again in the United States and folks questioning this kind of uh, approach to systemic racism and the impact that racism has in our society. Um, Marcus Baskerville and Weathered Souls Brewing down in San Antonio launched the Black is Beautiful project, similar to All Together, and that it aimed to have breweries around the world, brew beers, and then contribute the uh, profits made from those beers to local charities that are all aligned around the mission. Um, it's a beautiful project. I think over 1,100 beer, uh, breweries signed on to Black and Beautiful and brew Black and Beautiful beers so far. I'm actually drinking Alvarado Street's edition of Black is Beautiful um, right now, and it's a fantastic iteration. Um, but I love in a broader sense, and I should say that we fully support this idea of 
using craft beer as a force for cultural good and societal good. To see so many breweries jump in and brew beers around these causes and do them in a collaborative way, and to also kind of harness the what are typically seen as some of the weirder, um, more base aspects of beer trading, uh, this kind of completionist, or I want to tick as many of them as I can kind of elements to beer trading. Uh, these collaborations found both of those. And so you, um, all of a sudden started watching beer traders out there in the market trading for more iterations of altogether beers, more iterations of black is beautiful beers. And rather than just trying to to uh, check the top beers on untapped off of their lists, uh, they were collecting these beers, drinking these beers, sharing these beers with their friends. And the, the end result ultimately is more funds and more visibility for important social causes. And so I think to that end, both of these beers are well-deserving of a place in our uh, top 20 beers of 2020 um, and are fantastic projects. So kudos to uh, Marcus and the Weathered Souls crew and kudos uh, to the other half crew as well for having the foresight to pull their friends together and build these kinds of projects that allow breweries to do their their work together. Um, I think that brings us to a close for our top 20 beers of 2020, Joe. Yeah, I think you I think you're right. Let's let's pivot and talk quickly about uh homebrew brands. Why don't you talk us through our homebrew brands here, Joe? All right. So homebrew brands of the year. You homebrewers out there told us your favorite brands of uh homebrew equipment gear. Here we go. Number fifteen is stout. Number fourteen was Pico Brew. Thirteen is Craft a Brew or Catalyst. Number twelve Brew Jacket. 11, Fast Ferment. Number 10, Braumeister. Number 9, Bayou. At number 8, we've got Tilt. Number 7, Anvil. Number 6, The Grain Father. Number 5, More Beer. 4 is Spike. Number 3 is Inkbird. Number two is Blickman, and at number one again this year, we've got SS Brewtech for our favorite Reader's Choice Homebrew Brands of the Year. Congratulations to all of them. If on the top of Brew Gear of the Year, number 20, the Spike Solo System, number 19, Inkbird Temperature Controller, number 18, the Blickman Hellfire Burner, number 17 is the Spike Brewing Kettle, number 16, the Catalyst Fermenter, number 15, the Anvil Stainless Bucket Fermenter, Number 14, SS Brutech Infusion Mash Ton. Number 13, Spike Brewing Flex Fermenter. Number 12, the Kegland Brewzilla. Number 11, Blickman's Riptide Pump. Number 10, SS Brutech's Unitank. Number 9, the SS Brutech Kettle. Number 8, Brewer's Edge Mash and Boil. Number 7, Robo Brew. Number 6, Spike Brewing's Conical Unitank. Number 5, the Anvil Foundry System. Number 4, a Tilt Hydrometer. Number three, SS Brewtech Chronicle Fermenter, same as it was last year. Number two, also the same as it was last year, the SS Brewtech Brew Bucket. And once again, in the number one spot, the Grainfather Connect. Uh, it's time for us to go. Before we do, nearly 2,000 breweries across the U.S., Canada, and Mexico partner with GD Chillers. Rar North Star Pills is a new base malt to set your compass by. Inquire about a free craft brew sample pack from Five Star Chemicals and Supply. Grandstand is your one-stop shop for drinkware, apparel, and promotional items. ABS Commercial is giving away a keg Viking keg washer live on December 5th. 
and subscribe now to Craft Beer and Brewing to get full access to this year's Best in Beer issue right now. And I do mean right now. If you haven't subscribed to Craft Beer and Brewing magazine, why have you not done that yet? You've gotten this far. Hit that subscribe button and just do it and be able to read all of our thoughts on uh, the best beers of the year and all of our readers' thoughts as well. Um, Joe, we're going to be back next week and next week's episode of the podcast, we're going to go drill through. We're going to have some special guests on the podcast. All of our critics from Stan Hieronymus, Kate Bernat, uh, you, me, Samer uh, Kadari, and uh, we are going to talk through, maybe we might even have some professional brewer guests uh, you know, on the, on the episode to talk about some of their best beers of the year. Um, we're going to see how that all plays out. Should be a fun episode. I encourage everyone to tune in and uh, hear how our critics uh, things lined up for them this year. Um, in the meantime, cheers, and uh, we will see you next week. Thank you all. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.